Welcome back. We are now in November. Today is November 1st. And uh, not only is it November, but it's also, we just started, at least here in uh, Central Florida, where we're located, uh, we just started the second quarter of school. And, um, you know, we, we learned a lot the first quarter. The first quarter was a bit of a, uh, a challenge for many. We, we had a good portion of, about a third of our students or so, uh, doing remote learning, uh, mm -hmm. e-learning. And then we had, you know, the rest of the students, for the most part, were on campus learning. So, um, and it created a completely different environment at school um, and at home for most parents. And so it right. was an interesting nine weeks. It's, it's definitely a work in progress. And I am just astonished. I, I really am astonished um, with the resilience and the ability of us to adjust to new circumstances. I mean, you know, the, the whole school year fell apart last year last spring with the arrival of the uh, coronavirus and it was it was really a mess and we all acknowledge that but we come back this year with all kinds of different approaches to education you know right. online at home online at school in class out of, and it's just amazing to me how flexible we really are because we have been going to school in our country at least we've been going to school a certain way for a hundred years and everything changes and people People have this incredible ability to adjust to new situations and new circumstances. Right. And it amazes me. And, and um, it, who, would, who would have thought a year ago right. that we would be doing school this way? It just amazes me. It, it, it is amazing. And, you know, and the, the way that the school year started, things were, I, you know, I, I have two elementary schools and a middle school that I, that I cover. And, um, and I, I help out at a couple other schools sometimes. But, um, you know, it, everything started out very quiet. Uh, there wasn't a lot of behavior. There wasn't a lot of anything. And, and I remember us talking about it and, and thinking, just hold on, just hold on, let's see what happens. And uh, by the end of the nine weeks, you know, we started seeing a lot of the, you know, a lot of the challenges that we typically yeah. see. It was new. It was different. And once everyone settled in, uh, then everybody got comfortable. Right. And we started seeing some of the behaviors return. But, um, and then this past week, um, right about a week ago, uh, the second nine weeks started. And with the start of the second nine weeks, the way that our, our district here at least um, manages things, um, some of those students from e-learning were able to transition back to right. uh, brick and mortar if they, if they so chose. And so we had a whole new set of challenges. And, and, it, and, and Richard, talking about, you know, I know this isn't the topic of the podcast today, but talk about resilience. Um, and the need for a, a, a adjustment. Um, schools have this idea, this thing called FTE, right? You, you remember yes. that from working oh, in schools. So, yes. um, near the end of the first nine weeks or so, uh, they do this. We do this count to see how many students are actually physically enrolled at the campus um, for. And that's typically done. That's typically done in October. Right. Whatever the head, whoever's there in October, is what you count for the year. Right. And the import, it's important because that's how your money is allocated. Because that's how we find out how many kids with IEPs are out of school and how many. Right. Now, what's fascinating, the way that I understand it, is that that count came about for on campus learners. That's right. On campus. Mm -hmm. And so, one of my schools in particular, um, the FTE came through 
And the FTE, according to the FTE, one of the things that's decided with the FTE is how many teachers you should have. Um, because uh, they count them as teaching units. Um, mm -hmm. How many units you have, and um, then they determine if you need more or less units based upon the number of students enrolled. Well, one of my schools um, was said to have too many teachers because of the number of students that were on campus. So they lost three units. They lost three teachers. They had to, they had to, to, to let go three teachers. Because they had too few students in the right. building. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can we can talk about the teacher shortage and everything and the idea that we're we have too many teachers out of school, but regardless, um, so we had to they had to let go, th remove three teachers. They would I think they sent them to other schools and stuff. Mm -hmm. The next week, so that was two weeks ago. Last week, that school got 115 new students back from <laughs> e-learning. They, the they need something like three teachers, <laughs> right? Because of the because of the timing. FTE was determined before those students returned back at the start of the right. second quarter. It's just a, and, just a matter of timing. And yeah. so tons of students had schedule changes. Um, students who were <laughs> the, the funniest, one of the funniest, not haha funny, but whatever kind of funny you want to think about it as. Um, a student who, um, a middle school student who had never been in band before was put in band. Doesn't, mm -hmm. had never even held an instrument, but was put in band because we just had to create a schedule for him. And um, we were like, okay, the, the, the school counselors were saying, you know, we'll fix it. We just have to get him a schedule right now and get him in school um, and figure out where we're gonna put him um, once, we, once we get him here. So it's- That's what I mean about the flexibility of this yeah. thing. I mean, uh, you know, and you have to say to parents, don't fret too much about this year because these are very, very, very strange circumstances. Right. And there is going to be some learning loss, you know, some some um, some diminishing uh, returns this year. I mean, there have to be. It's a, it, but I, I'm I'm just absolutely amazed at the school's ability to remain flexible and and to meet the challenges that are that are coming their way almost daily. Absolutely, and and the students as well. And, and that's part oh, of what we talk about today is you know we we hear a lot from parents, um, sometimes from teachers even about. How, how kids aren't meeting their expectations. They're yeah, not right, doing their right. chores. They're not doing their homework. They're, you know, they're not respon taking responsibility. They're not, they, they spend too much time on video games and all, the, all these kinds of things. There's this whole list of common complaints that we hear from parents. And, you know, I, I think that we, we need to talk about that um, mm. because the pandemic has only exacerbated some of those issues. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and we need to talk about it because we need to figure out how or, or try to help parents figure out how to manage some of these issues with their kids um because you know hey look here in the state of florida again from the way that it was the last time i looked there's no funding for e-learning as, as of january um mm -hmm. for the, there's no funding for e-learning starting the second semester so from what everybody seems to be seems to believe from the way that the things are written, um, all the, of those distance learning students that are doing e-learning are gonna have to come back to school on the, in, in January. In January? Yeah, for the start of the second semester. Now, okay. we don't know if that will change, and as far as I know, it hasn't changed over the past few days, but yeah. So we're gonna have more adjustment right after the, um, you know, the winter holidays. Holidays, so, right. Here we go, more change. And once again, they'll figure out a way to make it work. It's just it's astonishing. Yeah.
Well, speaking of responsibility, that, that, that is sort of a good introduction to today because the pandemic um, is educating us. Um, one of the, you know, one of the themes that we have always heard in, in any psychology practice for the past 50 or 60 years is that kids um, won't do their chores, they won't do their homework, they don't accept responsibility. Um, and the common complaints, the, the way it's worded to us as therapists is, you know, my son is lazy. Right. Or my daughter is unmotivated. She doesn't want to do anything. Um, all they want to do, all he wants to do is play video games. Um, all, all she wants to do, she's always on her phone. We can't get her off her phone. And they won't do anything around the house unless I'm screaming or I'm paying them to do it. You know, they, I say, well, you have to take out the guard. Well, how much are you going to give me? What, what are you going to give me? You know, and there's this um, quid pro quo that, that kids are holding their parents hostage. Yes, I'll take the garbage out you have to pay me to do that. So there's this feeling that kids are not accepting responsibility. Right. And when the pandemic hit, there was a strange realization that seemed to um, occur to parents that either they weren't totally aware of or they weren't aware of the extent of it. And that's when schools closed last spring for the, the last quarter of, of the uh, 2019-2020 school year, parent and, and kids were kids were at home, and many of us were still quarantining and isolating, and families were spending a lot of time together. And parents realized they be they became acutely aware that their kids were spending too much time alone. That was one of the things we kept hearing, a recurring thing. My my son is always in his bedroom. He just he doesn't want to be with the family. He wants to stay in his bedroom. Or they're spending too much time on the internet. That was the other thing that's, oh my gosh, she's on the internet. That's right. all he does all day long. Or they're just on their electronic devices, video games, phones, right. iPads, iPods. And the other, the other strange thing that, that struck these parents is that their kids didn't have enough to do. If they weren't in school all day, um, they had these many, many hours every day where kids didn't seem to have anything to do. And when we listened to parents, when they would come in and, and, and express these concerns, we weren't surprised that, that kids were spending a lot of time on their devices. You know, that, that didn't surprise us at all, right? right? But we were pleased, at the same time, we were pleased to learn that parents began to realize that their kids really don't have much to do. And it brought back, um, they, they just had too much free time. Uh, they, they, Right. You know, the, the pandemic hit and they were at home, but there were these hundreds of hours right. that kids had absolutely nothing to do. They were bored. And so you started getting this cottage industry of fun things to do with your kids during the pandemic because uh, none of us were really prepared. Like we didn't have enough entertainment for our children. And certainly our children weren't able to entertain themselves. Right. And that was a huge problem is they had all this time on their hands and didn't know how to didn't know how to keep themselves busy, right? And and I, I think that the I think that the the compounding problem is that um, kids weren't used to being home that much. Mm -hmm. Parents weren't used to being home that much. Parents weren't used to to having to manage their kids that mm -hmm. much. And so you had this sort of double effect of. No one knew what to do. Everyone was looking for, you know, how do I keep this person? How do I keep my kids engaged? Um, how do I keep them off their devices? Well, 
you know, I think we even said, you're probably not going to, mm -hmm. you know, unless you give, keep them busy. Um, I mean, eight hours a day is a lot of time to fill. And, and I think that because of the, um, the quick transition from um, when schools closed in, in, the, in the spring, right. nobody was ready. And so the edu education looked very, very different at that time. And, and in fact, um, you know, the, the way that the fourth quarter went, again, at least in our area, and we know that this happened in other areas as well, um, there was very little work that was given to students for the right. most part. Right. And, um, and to be honest, it really didn't matter how well the students did on it because um, th there were directives that suggested that students can't make uh, a grade lower in the fourth quarter than they made in the third quarter. Um, and so no student was going, no student who had never failed before was going to fail um, exactly. that quarter. And so there was no, no real accountability um, because we didn't have the system in place. And so students and parents got accustomed to that and that continued into the summer. Right. And, and we, we still see that now into this, through this first quarter of the school year where a lot of students are like, you know, I haven't had to do work since, you know, March. Right. To say you're, you're holding me accountable for this right. work that you want me to do. It's, right. it's almost foreign to them because that's a lot of time. You know, you, we talk about the summer gap. Yeah. We've had twice, more than twice that. Absolutely. At least twice. Yeah. And so, yeah, everybody's that, but, but, but there was this realization that kids aren't very engaged in, except in electronics. Right. You know, but they're too much time alone, too much time on the internet, too much time on electronics. And suddenly parents were saying, whoa, my kids have too much time on their hands. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we begin the news. And, and so, it reminded me um, of what did we do? <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day about going, um, sick days and what we did at sick days. Uh, I said, we didn't want to stay home from school. Oh. And there were two reasons why. One was that's where all of our friends were. And these that's were right. neighborhood schools. So it was all the kids in the neighborhood were in the same building. Right. Okay? The other thing was there was nothing to do at home. Right. There, were, there were three TV channels. How many, when you were young, you were in the 80s, right? Yes. So but that was before satellite. You were still doing broadcast TV. Right. But we had, you had, we, had we, we had a number of stations, yeah. Right. We had three, right? We had three stations. They were essentially the same. And it was soap operas and, you know, kind of game shows and stuff that were on. And it was terribly boring. You didn't have any, you didn't have any portable devices. So whatever you did, you had to sit in a room with your mother, usually. Um, because women, a lot of women, Watch, work. Uh, guiding light. And, I mean, it uh, was so boring. You, you would die of boredom, not of disease, right? The restless. Forget the infectious disease. You'd die of boredom before you died of infection. And so and we couldn't wait to get out of the house, go back to school. But in today's world, uh, there's so much to do, you know, at home. But it's all electronics and internet and sure. games and that, that sort of thing. And so parents, parents were really, really became aware of this during the pandemic. And it led, uh, we found this article um, that was written about this topic, but I, I particularly like the slant that this uh, therapist takes, and that is, who's in charge of your child's success? Because it brought back all those things about how things were a generation ago or two generations ago. 
And one of the things that we've come to realize, and one of the things that became especially evident, painfully evident during the pandemic, was the shifting responsibility um, that a child's success right. has shifted from the child to the parents right. uh, over time. And I've watched this because well, we've certainly about the, many times. I'm sorry? We've talked about it many times. Yeah, yeah, that, that there was a time when kids were responsible for their own everything mm -hmm. and parents sort of stayed back, even in your generation. Right. Your parents were not directly involved in your, in your schooling was your schooling. It was right. your responsibility to take care of it. So this article today was written by David Schwartz. He's a, a licensed um, marriage and family therapist. I'm glad that and they added the picture of him because we have a good friend. <laughs> did David, you notice that? <laughs> and um, in, in, from Georgia. And I was like, David wrote this? That's a, that's a pri I, I would not have expected. He's a neuropsychologist. And not that he doesn't work with kids, but... Um, I would have been surprised, but yes, this is David Schwartz, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Right. I thought you were going to say that he looks like a, a he looks like the parent of one of my former patients. Oh no! I, <laughs> I thought, wow, that. Then I said, oh no, David Schwartz. And then I thought the same thing. David Schwartz wrote this, you know, which would was really far afield. So, so yes, I'm glad he had the picture, but it, it did throw me off for a while. Yeah. And and so he talks about the shifting responsibility from from parents to children. Um, today's parents are more involved in their children's activities, all of their children's activities, than they were just a few decades ago. Uh, today's parents manage their kids' schedules. Did your mother manage your schedule, Bernie? No. Um, and in fact, I was thinking that um, <clears throat> when, you, when you were talking about it a minute ago about, you know, my generation, I, I remember very specifically, um, you know, I, I was expected to earn a certain... Yeah. Um, great certain set of grades on my report card and it was just you will you will earn that, that that's right. just what's going to happen right um, and it was your responsibility how whatever you have to do bernie do it that's yeah. yours okay and, and that right. was it and, right. and i remember being so distressed I, I got a um i got a c one time in in fourth <laughs> grade and um and i remember feeling and i got in a lot of trouble and i remember feeling so distressed because when the next report card came out that c was still on there and I was like, oh, my God, it's going to happen again. But it was because, you know, I was responsible for making those grades. And, um, you know, it was still on there because it was from the previous. At that time, we did six weeks. Um, we did six six week uh, periods. Yeah, right. And, um, yeah. And it, that was not good. Um, I did right. not like oh. that at all. But uh, you felt the weight of, yeah. of, of the, the responsibility. So today's parents have sort of taken all that off because they're managing the kids schedules i mean you played sports in high school mm -hmm. okay and you went to school you knew when practice was you knew when games were you knew where you were supposed to be i never talked to my parents about that they they had no idea what i mean they knew i was staying after school right. but all they knew is that i you know they but they weren't involved in managing it in any but way we told them when we had practice right I, 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 you know i had practice after school today Right. Okay. okay. It wasn't that they said, "Hey, remember you have practice after school today?" No. 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 Right. And the, and they and parents coordinate their kids' activities. They do this master schedule of you have this on this night, and we're going to coordinate everything and keep it all running. They also oversee their kids' schoolwork. Right. My parents never were involved in my schoolwork at at, at, at any grade level. Um, it was always my responsibility. It was my responsibility to work with my teachers 
to make sure I got it right. Um, there were too many kids in our house and my parents were overwhelmed with other things, working and managing a household, and they didn't have time to oversee our schoolwork. But most of this, yeah. and, and most of this um, involvement is uh, reminding, you know, the, the parents are constantly reminding their kids. And remember that you have soccer today, so here are your cleats and here's this and here's that. Remember you have ballet today, remember you have piano today, and the parents are sort of orchestrating all this stuff, right. like stage managers behind the scenes. So there are frequent reminders. Sometimes it's cajoling and pressuring, and sometimes you have to threaten. Right. Um, if you don't do your homework, uh, this is going to happen to you. You know, and I, I was thinking, I don't, I don't know that I remember, and it, I don't know if you would remember, um, I don't remember my mom ever asking me if I had homework. It was just expected that it was done. It was entirely ours, you know. My, my, it, it just never was discussed. Yeah. And, and there, were, there were three of them. My parents had two different families, but three of us were in school. I never remember any of us ever, ever talking about much about schoolwork at right. home because it was just each of us had our responsibilities and we did it. We had homework, we did it, and we completed it and turned it in the next day. Yeah, and I, and I think that the, you know, I know this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but the what parents don't seem to understand is the the long term consequences of this micromanagement of our kids. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, we, we've both taught college students um, and we can see already in college students now that they don't have those organizational skills. They don't know how to do, they don't know how to do school. They're in college and they're still learning because everything was done for them. Right. And I was talking to some, I was talking to some uh, millennials, these guys in their 20s, and it suddenly dawned on all of us that when you're in school, everything is structured for you. Right. You know, you have, you have to be in school for nine weeks and these are your assignments and they're due on this day and you don't even have to think about it. You just, and then your parents are, so you're, 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 everything is structured, that your school day is structured, your work is structured, you know when your tests are, you know when homework is due, and then your parents are managing all of it at home. And so these kids go to school, all they have to do is sort of stumble into the building every day, do what they're told at school, do what they're told at home. And they never learn how to do it themselves. Right. And so, um, when when we take that away, and I, I've always complained. Um, colleges, mm -hmm. college. You have a syllabus. Right. Okay. That syllabus tells you exactly what you have to do. It tells you when it's due, what's due, and today's syllabi explain everything in great detail and tell you what you have to do to get an A. I, and, I remember a, a syllabus would be maybe three pages. Two or three pages. It just had the schedule. You know? And now they're like, they want us to create syllabi that are like, you know, 15, 20 pages long. When I retired a couple of years ago from universities, a syllabus it was nothing to have 23, 28 page syllabus because everything had to be explained in detail. And, um, and so students now are told exactly what's due how they have to do it. There's a sample to show them how to do it. And this is what you have to do to get an A. It's called a rubric. You know, you do this to get an A and this to get a B and this to get a C. We were flying blind when I was in college. You did the best work you could and hoped for the best grade that somebody would give you. And there was no place to complain. And so when schools and parents uh, begin to manage all these details for kids, the price you pay is that the students 
are robbed of the opportunity to learn um, important um, uh, skills. They, they don't have the opportunity to learn the skills. It also robs them of self-motivation. Uh, today's students don't have to be terribly motivated because everything is done for them. I mean, all they have to do is do the work. Um, they don't accomplish their own tasks. They don't learn how to accomplish their own tasks. You knew what was expected of you in school, and that was your responsibility to perform that task. Today, parents have assumed that responsibility. Not, I mean, your, your science fair project is due, so we're gonna do this today and this tomorrow. College applications. Mm -hmm. the, 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 today, it's we're doing 10 applications, and. Everything is spread out on the dining room table and the child comes home and say, okay, honey, this is what you have to do today. You have to write the letter to the University of Florida. And tomorrow you have to write this letter to this person. And it's all organized by the parents. Right. And what we're doing is we're robbing our children of the opportunity to learn these things themselves. So they get to late adolescence and early adulthood and they don't have the ability to do anything on their own. Right, and, and, and what we, you know, the, the unintended consequence of this because we, we do these things or parents do these things because they want their kids to be successful and they want them to have all these opportunities and they don't want opportunities to, to, to slide by without um, you know uh, unexpectedly um, but what it's doing is it's it's really taking away and, and again Richard I know that you see this because we, we talk about this with our patients all the time um, it takes away their locus of control um, instead of feeling as though that they have the power and agency to do something and to manage and to control their life, we're taking that away from them. Right. And we are telling them that you can't be responsible for that. I have to manage your time. I have to manage right. your life. I have to manage your, your tasks. And, and, it's, it, and it is robbing them of the opportunity to, to say, hey, I have some control over my life. I have some right. ability to influence the things that I'm doing and, and expected to do in my life. That's right. One of the things all of us want, and, and there are any number of uh, psychologists who have written about this, is everybody wants some control over their lives, okay? And if, if you keep, and you not only want control, you have to have the opportunity to learn how to do things. And, and that's a messy process because sometimes you fall short, but it's in falling short where you learn how to do things. Right. Um, but what's happening today is parents are taking, you know, they're managing the schedules, they're managing the requirements, they're managing the grades, they're monitoring their kids' grades. And okay, you gotta be in this subject, and so now we get to get, we have to do what we can to get an A. And so um, we are, we're sort of disempowering, instead of empowering our children to be competent, right we take away all of the responsibilities so we're actually disempowering them from learning the skills that they're going to need. Right. And as a result, many children only succeed when they're either pushed or forced to do things or when things are done for them. And, right. and that's the irony, that's the ironic mess that we're creating is that we either have to force children to do things or we have to do it for them because they don't have the ability or the understanding of how to do it themselves. Now, when you know, we talked about how we were raised, it was just understood right. that school was your responsibility. It was just understood that certain times we had a dog and other tasks that we had to do. I, my parents, I don't ever remember any of us being reminded to feed the dog. 
right. it was just your responsibility. Uh, you didn't get paid for it. There was no, you know, um, you just, that was your job. And it was, it was unthinkable that you wouldn't do it and your parents might do it. <laughs> but it wasn't even an argument. Right. You know, we had a, you're going to laugh when you hear this. Probably. You know what a coal furnace is? No, no, you're, you're living in Florida. Up north, we had coal furnaces before gas was. I've seen them in movies. Black and white. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so one of the jobs is you had to empty out the ashes and bring and take them outside. And in the, in the wintertime, you would throw them on the street because that would help um, with traction, you know, it would help melt the snow. <laughs> My parents never did that. It was never, they never carried the ashes up the stairs and outside. It was just understood that that was one of our jobs. Yeah. And so we just knew that, okay? And it was my job to make sure I succeeded. It wasn't their responsibility. Right. Nothing I did was their responsibility. It was always my responsibility. Yeah, and I think that, I think that in, in, when you look at those things, what's happening is kids are going in either one of two directions. Mm -hmm. Either they feel as though they have no control because somebody mm -hmm. else is always taking care of it and somebody right. else has already always managed and made sure that things mm -hmm. happen, needed to happen. And so right. they don't have to take those responsibilities. Right. Or they get the other way is kids start taking responsibility or, or taking credit for things that they didn't earn the credit for. They, <laughs> they, they start thinking that they have all of these skills or all of these abilities or all of these somethings. Right when they don't and it's the, the only reason that they were able to achieve these things was because someone who you know an adult who is much more experienced and skilled and everything was able to do it for them right and and but they're taking credit for it and so they get this sense of competence that's unachieved right that's they didn't right. earn that confidence i didn't really earn this right but they don't see it that way right because that's no. just the way that it's always been that's right 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 and so what we have done here, and I, I always refer to it as we've made a deal with the devil. Right. And parents today feel that they must be involved and they must be directly involved in order for their children to succeed. Right. And it's, but it's not just success, it's to excel. Okay. If, if my child can get a B, if my child can get B's and C's doing it herself, well, if I help, if I get everything structured, maybe she'll get A's, you know, and she can, she can really excel. Um, or if she's in the top 10, maybe we can get her to valedictorian or a salutatorian, you know, and really make a difference in her life. But if, I, if, if we do this, if we get all A's, and if they're busy in all these activities and they have a job, and if, and if I could work, most kids can't do that on their own. Right. Okay. It, 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 they have to learn how to do it. And many kids can't manage it. Right. Parents have to manage it because the expectation is too high. And, and, and it's what we're not recognizing is that we're creating this dynamic ourselves because, um, you know, we, we say, well, there's no way he'll get, <laughs> there's no way he'll get into college if he doesn't have all A's. Well, the reason that he can't get into college unless he has all A's is because parents have ensured that most kids are making all A's or most kids right. are going to go to college are making all A's. The, straight A's makes me crazy <laughs> because we should, there, there, there's no way, statistically, <laughs> there is no way that many students should be making all A's. Right, right. 
Um, there's no, it doesn't make sense to me that on a 4.0 grade point average scale that we have students with almost a 5.0 GPA. That, that, why are we creating a system that way? Because it is imbalanced. It, it, it means that a even a student who makes all A's in regular education classes, mm -hmm. a, a strong student who gets all of their work done and is doing everything on their own, that student is not, even if they have a 4.0, that student may not have a high enough GPA to get into some of the schools. I mean, what's, what was the average um, high school GPA for, for freshmen at Florida, University of Florida? Wasn't it like 4.1 or 4.2 or something like that? It was 4.2 or above, you know, that you had to have more than all A's. Right. You know, which is like, how does, how does right. that happen? It doesn't, it, so it doesn't make sense. And, and we're doing that to ourselves. Parents are doing that to themselves. No, parents aren't doing that to themselves. Parents are doing that to their kids. Right. They're, they're creating the situation that is unachievable right. without mm -hmm. the help of somebody else. Without the help of, a, of an adult who has already learned how to do this stuff. Right. The adult has had the opportunity, given the opportunity to learn how to do it but when you do it for your children, you're robbing your children of the very abilities that they need in order to succeed. Right. That's the deal. And so that's the problem with this, is that we get caught in this storm. We get caught in this tornado of success. And um, everybody's involved. I have to get all A's and I have to take AP classes and I have to take honors classes and I have to take college classes because I have to have more than a 4.3. I have to have more than this and more than that. And it's, it becomes impossible to manage all the pieces. And so it requires an adult with adult capacities, organizational abilities, to and time. You know, if you're a working parent, if you're a single parent, this all becomes very, very difficult because you don't have the time to manage. You might be able to manage it. You might have the ability, but you don't have the time. And so the deal with the devil is that parents feel they have to be involved so that my child will get these all A's and a 4.4. <clears throat> but you're trading grades, you're trading a grade point average for teaching your child response. You're not even teaching responsibility. You're allowing your child to assume responsibility, to learn what he or she has to learn in order to manage their life. That's not a good trade. 4.4 at the expense of your children not developing control, independence, self-motivation, the time management, right. all the things that they're going to need from college on, um, you're robbing them of that opportunity just so they can get a, a grade point average. And you say, well, if, I, if he doesn't get a 4.4, he can't go to the University of Florida. That doesn't matter. Right. It, if he can't, he, will, he or she will go somewhere. Right. And she or she will get a college education. It's the first job that makes the difference. It, he or she will get a college education. <clears throat> that's what he or she wants to do. That's right. Right. That's the other part of this is that I, I, we've met students who, you know, they want to be an electrician, mm -hmm. but they're taking, you know, a, a complete set of AP classes in their senior year of high school. Right. Um, and, and they're frustrated and they don't care. They're not motivated. And right. you know, that, that, like you said, that, you know, those are the big risks is that they, they don't have motivation. They can't make their own decisions. Um, they're they're completely dependent right. on their parents, and and they're making decisions and doing things that are 
based upon what they're what others want for them and not what they want for themselves. Right. Um, and so you're not going to have motivation in those situations. Right. There's a wonderful book called David and Goliath. And in that book, he talks about a girl, this stellar student who was um, accepted to Brown University. Brown is the most difficult. It's a, it has the highest rejection rate. Uh, it's the most difficult school to get into. Um, one of the Ivy League schools, great. And she took a chemistry class her first semester and got a B. And she had a nervous breakdown. She had a complete breakdown because she'd never gotten a B before. And she dropped out of school. So, yeah. so here's, and what the author in the book said was that she could have gone to the University of Michigan. Right. It would have been a much better fit for her. And my goodness, there's nothing wrong with a degree from the University of Michigan or the University of Pennsylvania or any of the large state universities. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to be at Brown or Harvard. Are there advantages? Yes, um, but it's not academic advantage. It's it's your. Um, we used to call it a Rolodex advantage. What would you do? It would be your, what's in your phone? Contact list. Your contact list. Uh, that's what you get at an Ivy League school. You get a different contact list. But you, you can succeed without going, many people succeed uh, without, a, without a, an Ivy League education. So what we've done is we've created a deal with the devil. And the deal with the devil is we're trading grades for responsibility. And right. that, uh, that, comes with the, that comes with some risks, okay? Um, and the risks are that um, it stifles self-motivation. Right. Why should kids be concerned? Because somebody else is going to take care of it for me. Right. Um, we lose the ability to make our own decisions. Right. Um, when I was in, you know, we've talked about this many times. Uh, before the advent of cell phones, um, if you were a college student, you couldn't just pick up your cell phone and call your parents and say, what should I do about this? You had to learn how to solve problems on your own. Um, kids become dependent. When parents are managing everything, you become dependent on the person taking care of you. And you almost enter a situation of learned helplessness. Right. You know, we talk about that um, frequently on the program. Um, they, they learn how to be helpless because everything is done for them. Yeah. The other insidious part, as uh, you mentioned, is they lack self-confidence because they've never, they know they're not doing this themselves. And right. Where do you get confidence? You get confidence from doing it on your own and right. succeeding. Um, but also, they don't, they also don't accept responsibility for their actions. And this is where we get into the behavioral and emotional part of this. Because if you're not responsible for your schedule, if you're not responsible for your grades, if you're not responsible for your work, then why would you be responsible for your actions? And so these same kids are saying, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I didn't do anything wrong because everything belongs to somebody else. Well, that's what I was going to say. And, it, and it's not that they're completely wrong. They aren't wrong. <laughs> they aren't. It's not my fault that I got that grade. That's I mean, right. I mean, you could have studied a little bit more perhaps and all, but you're right. I mean, you're not learning the skills that you need to know how to do that stuff. I mean, Bernie, we have had children in our offices say, well, you didn't tell me I was supposed to take, you didn't, you didn't tell me that I had a test on Wednesday. You didn't tell me that I would, that this assignment was due on Thursday. You should, you should let me know that I, and what and what will, and parents will say? Well, it was in your agenda, right? And and you know then well you know what their homework is in their agenda right. every day as well. Why do you why do you hound them about their homework? Right. Um, and then expect that they're going to look and see that there's a test and know what that means without right. you telling them. If right. every day, that that I, I think about that with um, I was talking to somebody at one of my schools the other day about um, some testing that I need to do. 
And one of the parents um, is for gifted testing. Oh, it makes me crazy. But um, one of the parents was like, hey, can you let me know when you're planning to test her so that I can make sure that, it, you know, get a good night's sleep and, you know, get up and have breakfast. And I said, I'm not going to do that because what that suggests is that any other day you send her to school unprepared. Right. Any other, I, I don't understand the whole thing with, you know, hey, we have a big state test tomorrow, so make sure that you get a good night's sleep and that you have breakfast. Right. But that's not your normal routine. It, that doesn't matter. But that's that micromanagement again. It gives right. absolutely the wrong message. Unless, unless you have some test, you can go to bed whenever you want. Unless right. there's the FCAT, you can go to bed. You know, no, this is our schedule. We, you should be prepared every day for what you have to do. Absolutely. Not just during gifted testing. But right. that's, the, that's the other insidious part of this, is that you not only rob your children of the opportunity to learn important life skills, like how to do things and how to keep a schedule and you know who's responding you know, feeling the pressure you must feel the pressure of doing it and you succeed and and you become self-confident those are all life skills right um but it's it also it insinuates itself into behavior and emotions because um we we also let our children begin to think that others are responsible for their behavior and their safety. Because if anything happens, if anything bad happens, somebody's else to pick up the pieces. You know, my mom will talk to the teacher. My mom will talk to the principal. My dad will talk to the coach. So I don't, you know, somebody else will take care of me. Somebody else will take care of these circumstances. And man, if I had, remember that wonderful story about the dad whose daughter, daughter was a soccer player. Yeah. She came home and she was angry because she wasn't playing and she was huffing and puffing and he doesn't put me in, he doesn't let me play. And, and the dad just looked at her and said, work harder. Yeah. And walked away. And it's hers. And he was, that was a blessing for this girl. Right. Because it, it was a very clear message that it's up to her to make this better. And, and, and here, here's what parents will say, because I, I, and I've heard this. Um, well, if I said that to her, she would just quit. <laughs> then that Case means that she's playing for you. Right. She's not playing okay. for her because if she, if it was interesting and important and, you know, a, a real uh, value to her that she would work right. if she right. if she would rather quit than work mm -hmm. and that means that she's doing it for something for you or for someone else or for something else that's she, right she's not really willing to own it and that's that's it's not hers and it's we not her that's right we have to let our kids drop those things mm -hmm. that they're not doing if if you have a kid that's in ap classes and mm -hmm. that kid doesn't want to study and doesn't want to do work without you having to tell them then they probably shouldn't be in AP classes. Right, that's right. And, and it's up to you. And, and you know, yes, it may hurt their GPA or, or whatever, but what's gonna happen the next year when they go to college and they aren't interested in the classes that they have to take there? They're not learning how to take responsibility. No, you're absolutely right. When, when kids fail off and just quit, they're, then they're, they're really, it's not theirs. Right. They're doing it for the wrong reason. Um, the other thing parents will say, well, if I don't, if I don't force him to participate, uh, he would just stay home and play video games. Right. The problem is he's able to stay home and play video games. Right. Okay. If you make life so boring, I mean, we did, we went out and looked for things to do because there was nothing to do at home. Right. Okay. But if I had a pile of video games and all these controls and devices, I would have plenty of free time to do other things. Right. Okay? And so, that's just that's a that's part of the problem but but the real problem is 
that parents are allowing their kids yeah. to to give up, to give in, to give uh, give up control of their lives uh, because they do it for them. Okay, right. so don't be afraid. You know, it's going to be okay. So when children refuse, as as you're talking about this girl, when they refuse to participate, when they or they fall short, um, let's start with this. Every kid wants to please his parents and teachers. Right. You know, we've talked about this many times. There's no kid who gets up and says, I think I'll get kicked out of school today. That sounds like a great idea, okay? If you're at that point, you're dealing with a set of other, another set of problems. And so kids want to please us, okay? They also, they want us to be proud of them. Right. Okay? They need that. They, that's, what, that's what feeds them. Right. And, but- You have to weigh a few things, right? That's right, that's right. But, but the problem is, what do the parents want? Right. You know, we know that the kids want to please their parents. We know that they want their parents to express. I can remember being a kid, and it felt so good when my parents would say positive things about me to friends and relatives. And boy, I just puff up and say, okay, I'm, I feel great about things. Uh, there's no difference with kids today. They also want that, to have that feeling. So, but what do we want? You know, do we want to have, do we want our kids to have all A's or 4.4 grade point average, or do we want them to learn independence and life skills? Okay, right. you have to make that decision. Do we want them to develop their own goals that they will be motivated to achieve? Or do we want to outline what, do we want to establish what we want of them? Right. Um, you, know, um, you know, my kids play baseball. Well, then, then let them play baseball at the level that they desire. And it right. may be, at the, they may want to be on a very highly competitive team, right. but it has to be their goal. It can't be my goal because they're going to quit when they're 12. As soon as they reach their teenage years, maybe they search for independence, they're going to walk away from it because right. it's not theirs. Right. Okay? So is it our goals or their goals? And it, is, it, is it our motivation or their motivation? Right. And the other problem is parents are motivated to help their children succeed, but the children are not motivated to help themselves succeed. And that becomes the problem. And we're taking that. We're robbing our children of the opportunity. Right. And we, and we have to get off this idea of lazy. Mm -hmm. You know, kids are oh. lazy. They, they, they're, they're not unmotivated. Right. <laughs> they are very driven to do, some, to do things. The problem is, is that what they're very driven to do isn't always what we want them to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mel Levine, remember that book Mel Levine wrote, you know, the, called The Myth of Laziness, you know, and, I, and it just struck me from the time I saw that book until today. Kids are not lazy. Right. They just, they're not motivated to do what we want. Right. They're motivated to do something. It might be to play video games. Right. So they're not lazy. Right. They may be motivated to do things that they shouldn't be doing. Right. Right. But they're, but they're motivated. They're motivated to do something. And so when you say, well, she's lazy, you're going to miss the target. I mean, it's like, it's like you're going to miss everything. If you, if, if you attach this to she's lazy, you're, you're going to get stuck there and you're never going to be able to solve the problem. You must begin to think in terms of she's not motivated to do what I want her to do. And so the goal is not to increase, not to get rid of laziness, mm -hmm. okay? Because laziness is not the problem. Right. The problem is she's not motivated to do what I want her to do. 
well, or she's not motivated. Right. She hasn't found her reason to do things. Well, when we talk about it as laziness, we see it as behavioral. That's right. And we see it as something that we can, that we, as a deficit or as a, as a pathology in the child. And, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's not. Um, but, but that's, that's what, referring to them as lazy, that's what that does, is that that's that right. pathologizes it. Yeah. But they're, they're motivated to do something. Right. Okay. We just have to figure out what it is, and then we begin working from there. Okay. Um, so, um, don't. But but please don't don't rob your children of right. the opportunity for them to learn. And this is that whole thing about kids have to fail a few times. Right. They have to have. You know, when they go outside to play, they're going to get cuts and bruises and black and blue marks and maybe a broken bone. But they have. That's how they learn right. how to take care of their bodies. Um, they need the same thing when it comes to school or chores. Um, kids have to have chores. One of the things I told parents to do during the pandemic, I said, what are your children doing when you're, when you're preparing dinner? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're in their bedrooms playing video games. Well, they should be helping you to prepare dinner. What are they doing after, you know, they eat their meal, what do they do? Oh, they go back to their bedroom. No, they should be cleaning the kitchen. They, your children, but what do parents say in those situations? They'll say, well, I don't want them right underneath me the whole time. Yeah, or they don't do it right. You know, right. I, I know they don't do it right. It's a learning process. Right. So, and, and you know, um, there's a, uh, I had a discussion with a parent once that, and she was talking about how they just, he, her son just stays on his video games all the time. And um, I want him off his video games. So I took, I'm taking and restricting him to video games for just this amount of time a day. And mm -hmm. I said, and the kid was like, well, I, I don't, have anything else to do and so i asked the parent what else do you want him to do and she says well he just needs to find something to do okay like does you know and we're talking about like a 13 year old right so he's not playing with toys you right. know um so okay so do you want him to watch video you know watch tv watch youtube no he can't be on his device at all okay now how are we creating a situation for right. him to not you know, you're not letting him out. It's the pandemic, so he can't go outside. He can't go spend time with his friends. Um, he doesn't have toys to play with. He can't be on his devices. Um, okay, so now you're expecting this 13-year-old with ADHD to sit down and read right. all day. Mm -hmm. You know, expecting him to read for, you know, 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour a day, that's fine. But he still has like eight hours that he has to fill today. That's right. want him to do the rest of that time. Right. And during the pandemic, I told parents, because they, they had these hours, they would say, well, he's done with the schoolwork in two hours. Okay, so he does the schoolwork from 9 to 11. He has the rest of the day, and there's nothing to do. And I said, okay, well, let's take your day. I said, tell me about dinner. And, you know, we'd go through this dinner thing. And I said, if you took the dinner hour, mm -hmm. dinner preparation, eating the meal, and cleaning the kitchen, I said, how long does that take? And almost invariably, they would say, oh, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, there's a two-hour chunk. Right. That you're looking at how to fill up these eight hours that there's nothing to do. Right. There's a two-hour chunk right there. What's your child doing that during that two hours? Oh, in his bedroom playing video games. She's on her cell phone. She's watching TV. I said, okay, from now on, you take 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock and tell your kids they're going to be in the kitchen Right. helping you prepare, consume, and clean right. this yes. evening meal. The entire family eats. Right. Okay. And, and to give kids the idea that all they have to do is come in, eat, and leave, that's called a restaurant. 
Right. You know, and, and if you want to set up a restaurant in your house, believe me, you're not going to like the results. Right. These kids, these kids are part of a family and being in a family means that you all share the responsibility, whether it's cleaning meals. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. Kids mm -hmm. must feel that they're part of a family and that they have to make a contribution, not a contribution they get paid for, but right. a contribution because they live in a family. And right. that dinner hour is just one of many examples where kids should be involved with their parents. You know, dads go out and mow the lawn on their own. No, there's a lot of yard, you know, we do yard work on Saturday morning. And so, you know, just, just put it into your schedule. And that's how kids learn responsibility, that they are part of a family, that they have responsibilities, and those responsibilities occur every day. Right, absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's teaching your kids how to manage their lives. That's, that's right. And you say, oh, it's such a pain when the kids are in the kitchen. Yes, I know it's more difficult. Mm -hmm. But during that two-hour period, imagine the opportunities you have to make your children feel competent, to make your children feel like they're contributing, to make your children feel that you value them in your life. Okay, mm -hmm. These are opportunities for us, for our children to learn how to do things and for them to learn that we, we are watching and that we do care. So Absolutely. not a pain in the neck. It's a, it's a wonderful learning opportunity. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, I think that that is it then for today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the link to the article is in the show notes. So uh, make sure you check it out and see what mm -hmm. uh, David Schwartz had to say. Uh, a little bit more about all of this stuff. So. A different David Schwartz. David Schwartz. So, all right. So that's it for today. So until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. <laughs>